Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philemon, which is a short letter. It's just one chapter. It's right before Hebrews and uh, after Titus. Um, you can easily skip over it as you turn the pages in your Bible. So um, the book of Philemon, um, right before uh, Hebrews and after Titus. You can also use that um, healthy, that helpful tool, the table of contents. <laughs> Just don't be ashamed to ever use that. <laughs> it's there for your help. Um, but uh, read along with me. Um, letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have much boldness in Christ to command you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather plead with you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. For my child Onesimus, of whom I became a father in my chains, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, my very heart, whom I intended to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion." But voluntarily, for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would accept me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe, me, owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And at the same time, also prepare me a lodging. For I hope that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short letter. It's just a, a short personal letter, but in it are so many principles to glean from, um, commands, lessons. We thank you that... Um, you decided to include it in the canon of Scripture, that you um, worked through Paul to write it. And we can learn much from it. 
So Lord, as we look at this short letter over the next few weeks, and especially this morning, help us to understand, help us to listen, help us to apply these truths to our lives. And Lord, as I uh, speak your word, as I preach your word, as I preach these principles, I pray that my words would be your words, that your words would go forth in power and precision and accuracy to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so about a month ago, uh, we finished uh, our exposition of Colossians, which we were going through that uh, letter of Paul's um, for, I don't know, about four months or so. Um, uh, and then the last few weeks, I, um, I ended it, and I preach a three-part Easter series, and uh, in deciding in which book to preach through next, I, I chose to do this short letter of Philemon, and uh, I made that decision a while ago, primarily because it was written um, at the same time as uh, Colossians. It was written at the same time, and it was written, um, in essence, to the same people, the same church. Um, it was also delivered um, at the same time. Um, these letters came, uh, they were written by Paul in prison, well, along with Ephesians and Philippians, which were probably written um, at a, a different time, but um, not too far apart from Colossians or Philemon. But Colossians and Philemon were um, written at the same time and sent um, through the same messengers, Tychicus and Onesimus, to the church at Colossae, which uh, likely met in Philemon's house. And so um, these letters go together. Um, and I don't know why. Um, I'd have to probably do some more study to figure out the answer why they're not next to each other in the canon. But nonetheless, um, they're where they're at um, when uh, the early church uh, pieced together these letters <clears throat> into the canon of Scripture. Um, but I wanted to uh, do this, um, this short letter because it's connected with Colossians and all the background and all the principles that we uh, learned about in Colossians, but also um, because of its subject. Uh, Paul's letter to Philemon is known as um, one of the premier passages or letters uh, or books in the Bible which speaks to the topic of forgiveness and uh, primarily forgiveness between believers, which you can't get too much of. Um, we need to hear about forgiveness um, constantly and continually because we need to be a forgiving people because we are a forgiven people. And we need to um, practice forgiveness um, as... Uh, Many people have said, uh, you know, it, it's hard to have a relationship or a good relationship without um, practicing uh, or exercising grace and forgiveness because we're all sinners and we're going to sin against each other. Um, even if um, that's only within our own hearts and minds, we're still going to sin against one another. So we need to know how to practice forgiveness. And um, as one commentator writes... He says, the rich theological theme that dominates the letter is forgiveness. It's a featured theme throughout the New Testament. But 
Paul's instruction here provides the biblical definition of forgiveness without ever using the word. And uh, most believers that have read this letter, most um, pastors, theologians would say the same thing, that Philemon is all about forgiveness. It's all about forgiveness and reconciliation. However, I think that in addition to his request for the forgiveness of Onesimus, his runaway slave, the Apostle Paul writes to Philemon and the church at Colossae to teach them about forgiveness using, in a sense, a real-life object lesson. Paul wants to not only plea for the forgiveness of Onesimus and his reconciliation with Philemon and full restoration, um, but he wants to teach the church about forgiveness and, and teach us as well. That's why this letter um, exists. It's why it has endured. It's why it's scripture. But in, in addition to teaching them about uh, forgiveness, I, I think he also wants to teach them about what forgiveness produces and what forgiveness preserves, which is the unity of the body and true fellowship, which is vital for the church's witness. Unity and true fellowship is so critical for our witness, and especially um, for the witness of the church at Colossae in the society and the context in which Paul wrote the letter. Um, is it doesn't take um, much reading to see that Onesimus was a runaway slave. And Paul's sending him back to his master. Sending him back to his master. Um, something that um, many people um, outside of Christianity um, and even some people in the church would wonder why and might even use as an opportunity to, um, to argue against the Bible or argue against Christianity, that Paul should never have sent a runaway slave back to his master, um, pleading for reconciliation and forgiveness. But this points to the gospel. And it's important especially in that society and context in which Paul wrote the letter, that um, in the Greco-Roman world, um, the Roman Empire, uh, it thrived. It was built on slavery. Um, slavery is, it, it was just a reality throughout most of world history. And up until uh, the recent um, abolition of slavery in the Western world, um, most of the world has slaves. And even nowadays, um, slavery still exists in the form of human trafficking and, and, and in ways which are, um, are obfuscated or disguised or um, covered over. Slavery still exists. But in the Greco-Roman world, it was just a part of the society. It really wasn't ethnically based um, people of every background and socioeconomic status could become uh, a slave. Um, you, 
whatever conquered territory uh, that Rome conquered, um, they would enslave people. And this was just a way of business when um, uh, nations uh, would conquer one another. That they, part of conquering was not only plundering their goods, but taking the people as slaves, primarily the women's children. And in the Greco-Roman world, this is how the empire was built. It was how it was sustained. It was part of the um, economy. Uh, many historians would um, write to say about 80% of the people in that time were slaves. And they could be um, anything from the, the most uh, menial um, uh, laborer to a physician or a government administrator, someone with uh, a great skill and intellect, highly educated. Um, and people could win their freedom um, and then they could be enslaved again. So when the Bible talks about slavery, it doesn't, um, it doesn't necessarily speak to abolish it. Um, it does in, uh, in the law of Moses. There, there is uh, verses against man-stealing. Um, it legislates slavery in such a way, especially in the New Testament, that masters should treat their slaves so well that their slaves wouldn't even want to leave. And there's, the slaves should work for the masters in such a way that their masters would want to treat them well and would not want them to run away. And so it's something that uh, uh, a behavior um, that would essentially um, uh, come to uh, erode away at the institution of slavery. But nonetheless, uh, slavery existed. And uh, Paul, um, he writes about this in some of his letters in uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3 about um, the relationship between masters and slaves uh, as believers. And in Ephesians 4, um, he speaks to this. And here we get this real-life example of uh, an unbelieving slave running away from his master. Um, and it's interesting because of all places, <laughs> you know, Colossae was a, a, a small village, small city. Um, you know, some people would, would even say that it was probably less than a population of 100. We, we don't know the exact population, but it was small. Uh, and Onesimus, in order to run away, he had to steal something. He had to have some provisions to get away, something to um, survive off of. So he stole something from Philemon to make his getaway. And uh, he went to Rome, um, probably to hide amongst the, the greater population. And in God's providence, he um, somehow uh, in interacts with Paul who is on house arrest, is in, in, in a, a prison. He's imprisoned. Um, this would not be as bad as his second imprisonment, but nonetheless, he was imprisoned. And somehow, uh, Onesimus um, comes into contact with the Apostle Paul. And uh, the Apostle Paul um, proclaims the gospel to him, disciples him. And uh, in effect, uh, Onesimus becomes useful to the Apostle Paul. But then the Apostle Paul wants to send him back because there's some um, unfinished business so that uh, Philemon and, uh, 
and Onesimus would be reconciled. And that's why he writes this letter. And this letter is, it's, it's amazing how Paul um, sets up this letter. And, and um, one commentator writes this uh, about just the structure of this letter. He says this, the letter is a masterpiece of persuasion and can be analyzed in terms of how Paul seeks a favorable reception for the returning slave, where the normal response of the slave owner would be vindictive. Paul's strategy follows that prescribed by Greek and Roman rhetoricians of the day. Begin by building rapport and goodwill with an audience in verses 4 to 10. Then lay out the facts in a way that will convince the mind or intellect, verses 11 to 19. And finally, appeal to the emotions of the audience, verses 20 to 21. And in a sense, Paul follows this argumentation. However, it's not just the style of Paul's argumentation and plea in this short letter, which is masterful, but it's the content, which is divinely inspired, it's gospel-centered, and it's prayerfully delivered as we see Paul speaking about his prayers. It's full of the gospel. And as another commentator writes, before Paul makes his appeal, he graciously and tactfully expresses his thanksgiving for Philemon in verses 4 to 5 and describes how he prays for him. So uh, we're probably going to look at this letter in three uh, messages today um, and in the next couple weeks. But for today, we're going to look in, at verses 1 to 7 and what I've titled the prerequisites of fellowship. And we're going to look at um, Paul's introduction and his commendation um, to Philemon. In this passage, in verses 1 to 7, there's what I see as five elements of Paul's commendation to Philemon and the church at Colossae, because it wasn't just Philemon he was writing to, um, but the church as well. And so we're going to look at five elements of Paul's commendation to Philemon and the church at Colossae before he enters into his plea to Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And we see the first element of Paul's commendation to Philemon is that Paul commends his service to Christ and his church. Right there in the first line, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. There's many ways in which Paul um, introduces a letter, his salutation, but here um, he starts off, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. And as almost all of the uh, New Testament epistles are written and um, many of the, the letters and books in the um, Greco-Roman world, um, the author always put his name up front. This is who is writing this and then this is why. And Paul starts off by saying he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus and also he's with Timothy, our brother. And Paul, in a sense, in that short uh, uh, sentence or, or, or phrase that Paul is commending his service to Christ and his church, almost uh, showing his credibility to Philemon. He, he's he's uh, implying the circumstances leading up to and the cause of his imprisonment, that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's reminding Philemon of where he's at and what he's going through. Also, um, in a sense, uh, his outlook on his imprisonment. 
That it is not dim and dreary. As, as he would elaborate on his outlook in Philippians in chapter 1, he, he says this in Philippians chapter 1 and verses 12 to 17. He says to the Philippians, Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my chains in Christ have become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord because of my chains, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me affliction in my chains. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Paul wasn't bemoaning his imprisonment. He was just um, stating it as a fact to Philemon. He elaborates on it in Philippians and in uh, some of the other letters, um, primarily in Philippians chapter 1, about his outlook on his imprisonment, that he sees it as an opportunity to further the gospel and to proclaim Christ, and also to encourage the brothers. And in a sense, he's mentioning it to Philemon. He's commending his service to Philemon, almost as a sense of, uh, uh, to establish uh, to his credibility um, before he enters into his plea, but also to remind uh, Philemon of um, his service to Christ and his church, of the consequences of his service, but then second, the continuation of his service. He's with Timothy, our brother, and, and, and others as well, that um, this imprisonment didn't stop him from serving Christ and his church. It didn't stop him from gospel ministry. I mean, just look at the end of, of Philemon, verses 23 and 24. He says, um, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. People were coming in and out. Um, he was still discipling people. He was writing letters. Um, Epaphras, who had planted the church at Colossae, had came and, uh, to Paul to um, get some instruction to uh, uh, tell Paul about the things going on in Colossae. And so people are coming and going. Paul is still doing ministry. And so he starts his letter commending his service to Christ and his church to Philemon. Listen to what John Calvin wrote about Paul's introduction. This is interesting. Uh, John Calvin writes this. He says, In the same sense in which he elsewhere calls himself an apostle of Christ or a minister of Christ, he now calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Because the chains by which he was bound on account of the gospel were the ornaments or badges of that embassy which he exercised for Christ. Accordingly, he mentions them for the sake of strengthening his authority. Not that he was afraid of being despised, for Philemon undoubtedly had so great reverence and esteem for him that there was no need of assuming any title. But because he was about to plead the cause of a runaway slave, the principal part of which was entreaty for forgiveness. So Paul reminds Philemon that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus and he commends his service to Christ and his church. 
Second, the, the second element of uh, Paul's commendation uh, to Philemon um, is that Paul commends Philemon's service to Christ and his church. He commends Philemon's service to Christ and his church. He, verse, the second part of verse 1 and verse 2, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. He, he almost alludes to uh, Philemon's uh, his, his loyalty to the church, his toil and sacrifice. And he's saying he, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, not just to Philemon, just stating his name, but he alludes to his character, his service. He commends Philemon's service to Christ and his church and, and starting with his loyalty, toil, and sacrifice. That Philemon is a beloved brother and a fellow worker. And as some commentators have wrote that um, because of Philemon's status, he was probably wealthy. He owned at least one slave. Um, the church met in his house, which means he probably had a large house. He probably had some land. And chances are being a, a wealthy person with a, a house and land and slaves, he probably made business trips. And he probably made business trips to the port city of Ephesus. Or chances are that that may have been where he had interacted with Paul in the past. And, and that may be a, a Paul alluding to uh, his interactions with Philemon in ministry. As Philemon would no doubt travel to uh, Ephesus and other surrounding cities for um, business. He, he writes to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, alluding to his loyalty to the church, his toil, his sacrifice for the church, and then the use of his home for the gathering and worship of the church. He says, to the church in your house, to the church in your house that, you know, just we, we know from having people over, having large gatherings in our house, um, that, that takes work. It takes sacrifice, it takes cleaning up, it takes setting out the chairs, the food, um, just ordering things in the home. And some of us, we, we don't have a large enough home to invite people in or, or just our life circumstances are such, especially those who have large families or young children, um, it's harder. Or those who are, are taking care of, you know, someone with disabilities or health issues or, you know, it's harder. Um, but even if circumstances are good, it still takes some work to host um, a gathering at your home. And Philemon did this regularly. He regularly used his home for the gathering and worship of the church. This is where they met. Because in those days, up until probably about um, the third century, uh, churches didn't have buildings. They met in homes or fields or um, out in the open um, they didn't have church buildings. And uh, many historians would point back to probably the first church building was around 280. Um, and churches started to um, build uh, buildings, uh, facilities, worship centers um, after uh, Constantine and the Edict of Milan in, uh, uh, I believe it was 333, if I'm not mistaken, um, in which he... Uh, ended all persecution of the Christian church and, and um, almost made it the state religion. And then church buildings were built. But up until that time, 
the church met in homes. And they would usually meet in uh, someone with a large home, a wealthy person, um, that God would provide someone with the means to have a place for the church to meet. And so Paul commends Philemon's service to Christ and his church in that he provided a place for the church to meet. It was because of Philemon that the church of Colossae could gather and worship. But it's not just his loyalty, toil, and sacrifice, but also his leadership and influence. Because as uh, verse 2 says, to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, uh, it, this would allude to Aphia being um, his wife. It doesn't say his wife, but um, there's strong reason to believe that that was his wife. And, and um, maybe not so much a strong reason to believe that Archippus is one of his sons, but that's still there. Many uh, commentators would believe that that would be the case. That's why he mentions them and then says to the church in your house that Philemon um, exhibited some leadership and influence over his family and household and, and then within the church in his house. Paul opens up this letter um, by commending um, his service to Christ and his church and then he, he commends Philemon's service to Christ and his church. And then as he's, he's establishing uh, this rapport with Philemon before he enters into his plea, he goes on and, and, and this third commendation is that Paul, we, we see Paul's blessing from God to Philemon and the church. In verse 3, Paul's blessing, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's signature gospel blessing. It's his signature blessing. It's in almost all of his letters. He uses it in Romans, in First and Second Corinthians, in Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, in Titus. But in First and Second Timothy, he adds mercy probably because Timothy needed mercy in addition to grace and peace. But nonetheless, this is Paul's normal salutation. And it contains uh, two main elements of the gospel, grace and peace. That's why, why Paul said it so often, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Paul was, uh, he, he never got sick of the gospel. He was enamored by the gospel and, and particularly the, the work of the gospel in his life and in his ministry. He gave his life for the, the, the ministry of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel, to preach the gospel. He said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So the gospel was always on his mind and the effects of the gospel in his life and in the life of the church and in the life of all the believers he interacted with. And so he uses this blessing from God to Philemon and the church as he does to all his other letters. These two elements, grace and peace. Reminds me of uh, you know, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, one, one of those primary uh, passages you use in witnessing, but also to, uh, for comfort, to remind yourself of what God has done in your life. You know, as... Um, I have said, and many preachers, I've heard it from other preachers, and they've heard it from others, and, and it's continued. I believe it um, started with Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said, praise God for the butts in the Bible, and, uh, but God. I, I had a professor, and I've seen other people who have um, just that simple sign in their home, but God. 
and a reminder, but God, of his grace. And here in Ephesians 2, 4, we see, um, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works so that no one may boast. We're all recipients of grace. We come to Christ by grace. We're saved by grace. Um, we serve by grace. We're empowered by grace. Our, our lives are pictures of God's grace. And Paul never forgot this. So he always starts his letters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Many Christians, uh, they end their letters or their emails with that same saying, grace and peace. Grace and peace. It, it's fitting. Um, and we need to be reminded of that always that we are recipients of God's grace, but not just his grace, but his peace. As Paul, Paul says this in Romans 5, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God. We have peace. Through grace, we experience peace. And, and Paul, no doubt, being a Jew, um, when he writes peace, he's thinking of that, that Jewish definition, the Jewish term for peace, shalom, which, which not only means an end of the hostilities, but um, a prosperity, good living, peace, shalom, all from God, grace and peace. And Paul uses that in all his letters, but primarily here um, because as he is about to plea with Onesimus to forgive or plea with um, Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he needs to remind uh, Philemon that you cannot truly forgive unless you understand true forgiveness. You cannot truly forgive unless you remember what you have been forgiven of. This understanding of true forgiveness only comes from God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see Paul's blessing from God to Philemon and the church starts with his signature gospel blessing, but also a reminder of his source of blessing from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you know, all decrees come from the Father. Uh, he sent his Son to seek and to save that which was lost, to destroy the works of the devil, to redeem a people for himself, that, that Jesus Christ would, in a sense, uh, uh, give as a gift to the Father a kingdom. And then through the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, it, it, it's interesting when... Um, you know, we pray that prayer as Jesus taught us. Um, pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And sometimes, you know, um, I myself get hung up on the word our. 
you think that God is, you know, Father, in a sense, in the Godhead, that's, in a sense, his function, but our Father, you think about that greatness, that the, the, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, all, all, the almighty, omniscient, omnipresent, is our Father, through Jesus Christ, that's grace and peace. That is grace and peace, divine grace and peace, which, which Paul is enamored with. And he always wants to remind um, the recipients of his letters about, and particularly Philemon needs to be reminded of this. And so Paul blesses him with this signature blessing, grace and peace. I like what Dr. James Roscup wrote about Paul's greeting in his exposition on prayer. He writes this. He, he, and speaking of Paul, he says, he writes what his wish prayer is for these believers. An intercession for grace and peace as when he introduces all his letters. An appeal for grace is an entreaty to God to supply his unmerited favor to meet fresh needs. Paul wants the Lord to provide the sufficiency of his power, guidance, wisdom, quality, and tone that is an elixir of spiritual life. Grace and its new bounties will lift Philemon to experience and show God-honoring attitudes, words, and actions in dealing with the issues of life. In this epistle, the most pressing need that Paul urges is that of a Christ-like welcome and treatment of Onesimus. This is both as a forgiven slave fully reinstated and as a brother in the love bond of Christ. And he goes on to say, to speak about peace, saying that peace is that Christian calm that springs from face confidence that the resources in Christ are adequate. It is the composed spirit, the tranquil heart that rests with poise in the life-sponsoring bounty that God's enabling grace bestows. Peace with God in the union that his justifying grace delivers is a reality and the sense of serenity that is the peace of God, the calm he can give moment by moment that can also brace the life. Paul had this in view in Philippians 4, 7, particularly as it is an outflow of prayerful dependence on God in contrast to worrying. You, you remember that, that passage. Um, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, um, present your request before God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul commends uh, Philemon, he commends himself to Philemon with this blessing uh, from God, this reminder of grace and peace. Fourth, uh, the fourth element of Paul's commendation to uh, Philemon, primarily what he um, commends Philemon for is Philemon's blessings to Christ and his church. Philemon's blessings to Christ and his church. That Philemon was a blessing to the church of Jesus Christ, to the church in his home, and to the, the universal church, the church in that region, um, and, and even to Paul himself. That Philemon is a blessing to Christ and his church. Verses 4 to 6. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. 
And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. He, he, he commends uh, uh, Philemon's blessings, his, his work, his toil, um, how Philemon is a blessing to uh, Christ and his church, to the cause of Christ, to the advancement of the gospel. He, he's, in a sense, as um, others have said, um, Paul's kind of buttering him up for the, the, the plea, for the request. Um, but he's, this is it's not empty flattery. This is true. Philemon is a man of character. Philemon has been a, a blessing to Christ and his church, and, and, and so much of a blessing that um, he, he, he's a, a blessing which provokes Paul to thanksgiving and prayer. Philemon is a blessing which provokes Paul to thanksgiving and prayer. He says he, he, he thanks, I, I thank my God always, always making mention of you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Provokes Paul to thanksgiving, to be thankful for Philemon that, you know, even though Paul is away in a Roman prison and he, he says in other parts that, that the, the, of the New Testament of his letters that the church is always on his mind. He always prays for the church and, and each one of these churches and he thinks about them. He strives in his prayers for the churches. And this is interesting because this, uh, these few short verses are almost the same thing that, that Paul says to, uh, in his letter to Colossae. As both of these letters came at the same time, and it might, it might have been one after the other. They came at the same time, and, and, and uh, certainly uh, to uh, Philemon and the church in his house, and they, they, they read uh, the letter to Colossae first, the letter of Colossians first, and then, then was the second one. Then they probably got up and read the letter to Philemon. Um, we have this general letter, and then we have this letter to Philemon. But it's interesting that in the beginning of Colossians, in chapter 1, um, Paul says this in verse 3, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have, for all the saints. Almost exactly what he says in uh, Philemon verses four to five, reiterating that. And he's, he's, he's thankful. And, and, and part of this is the leadership of Philemon, that he is a leader in the church. He is sacrificed for a church. He's a blessing to uh, Christ and his church and so much that it provokes Paul to thanksgiving and prayer. But... Philemon's blessings uh, to Christ and his church also compel Paul to continued prayer and concern. Continued prayer and concern that not just he's thankful for his service, but then he prays proactively for uh, additional blessing, that, that Philemon would continue in his service, that he would be a continual blessing, that he would grow in his effectiveness. Verse 6, I, and I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. That his toil and his service would abound. And it would abound and have impact um, 
outside of his little house church and in, in, in the, the region of Colossae and, and uh, Laodicea and Herapolis, which are close by and would even extend to Ephesus and, and even all the way to Rome as it has come to Paul's ears and Philemon has shown himself to be a blessing to Christ and his church, which has reached all the way to uh, the Apostle Paul. Which brings us to our fifth and final element of Paul's uh, commendation to Philemon. And that is Philemon's blessings to Paul through the church. And I kind of messed up on the handout when I printed it up. But it should be Philemon's blessings to Paul through the church. That Philemon has shown himself a blessing to Paul. Not just a blessing to Christ and his church, but a blessing to Paul. That he has, he has blessed Paul with his toil and with his sacrifice and with his loyalty and with his service. Verse 7, For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. That Paul, all the way in Rome, because of Philemon, because of Philemon's service, because of his leadership, because of his influence, because of his sacrifice for the sake of the church, Paul has joy and comfort because of Philemon's love and, and, and not particularly his love for Paul, but his love for the church, his love for Jesus Christ. That, that Paul, in, in a sense, he, he, is, he is put at ease because Philemon's out there. Because Philemon's out there doing the work of the ministry. He, he's holding down the fort, so to speak. He's sacrificing. He's working. And Paul hears about this through Epaphras, and no doubt, probably through Onesimus, even though Onesimus was a, a runaway slave, no doubt he, he, he um, commented on Philemon and what type of master he was and what type of person he was and what type of man he was. It's probably why uh, another reason why Paul is going to send Onesimus back. You ran, you ran away from that type of master? He, he has a, a church in his house. He has, you know, you're able to hear the word of God, the gospel in, in that house. Uh, and, and from everything I hear about him, he probably treated you very well. And you're going to run away and, and, and face um, the dangers of... Um, the Greco-Roman world and being a runaway slave and having to um, fend for yourself, which was dangerous in those times, being a runaway slave. And he, he could have been caught, recaptured by someone else, uh, ended up being uh, uh, serving a, a harder master or being killed, um, whatever the case. But Paul sends him back because of... Philemon's blessings to uh, Christ and his church, to Paul through the church. Philemon's a man of character. And we, we see the results of his blessings to Paul is that Paul receives uh, joy and comfort. Joy and comfort in Paul, but also um, we see the means of Philemon's blessings to Paul through the church is, is that... Um, because of Philemon's service, because of his work, because of his toil, because of his sacrifice, the hearts of the saints 
have been refreshed through him. They've been refreshed. It's almost as if his home, his house, his land was a sanctuary. It was a sanctuary from this sin-cursed world. It was a place of refreshment. And quite honestly, that's what the local church should be. It should be a refreshment. And I've heard this from several believers in past churches that, you know, they go through work in the workplace and, and where they go throughout the week and they can't wait to get to church. And it's such a refreshment. And I hope that this church is a refreshment for you. And, and it, it, I, I try to never forget that you have lives outside of here. That you all work in workplaces and in the world and you go about your day-to-day lives and then you come back. And uh, hopefully um, this is a refreshment to you. We, we gather to worship, but worship should have an effect on you to refresh you, to restore you, to um, encourage you, to build you up, to equip you for service, to be um, that faithful believer out in the world. And uh, I, I've worked several jobs, and um, I know that the world can be harsh. It can be immoral. Um, you can live and, and work amongst people who are rude, who are bitter, who are angry, who are vengeful, who are cantankerous, who are just downright wicked. And your hope is to come to church to have a bit of refreshment, of restoration, a sanctuary. This was Philemon's house. He was a means of blessing to the saints, that their hearts were refreshed through him. Refreshed through him. This is the, the, the type of man that Philemon was. And, and you know, I, I titled this message The Prerequisites of Fellowship because though this letter is primarily about forgiveness um, and Paul's plea for forgiveness and reconciliation, it doesn't end there. Because Paul alludes to fellowship throughout this uh, letter. He, he, he calls Philemon his fellow worker, Archippus our fellow soldier. He talks about um, the fellowship of your faith. Um, he talks about Epaphras as his fellow prisoner. Um, he says to Philemon, verse 17, if you regard me a partner, um, there's fellowship. That, that's the end goal of forgiveness. Is, is fellowship and true fellowship. Uh, fellowship is, is not just hanging out together. Um, that's part of it. But it, it, it's a little bit deeper than that. It's a partnership. A partnership, a, a true loyalty, a companionship. This is the end goal of forgiveness, that there would be reconciliation, there would be restoration, there would be unity, and then there would be fellowship, partnership. And, and this is what Paul is uh, commending Philemon towards. And and Philemon has these prerequisites of true fellowship, which are listed here in his character qualities and his service. That these prerequisites of fellowship to be a a person of character, of love, of um, toil and service, of faith, of um, refreshing the hearts of the saints. This is what Paul is aiming at. 
Arthur Ruprick, in his commentary, um, one of the commentaries I've been looking at, he says this concerning this letter. He says this concerning the characters. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus are in a real-life drama of profound social significance. Each has heard the claims of Christianity from totally different backgrounds. Paul was once a rigorous Jew of the dispersion who advanced in Judaism beyond all his contemporaries. Philemon was a wealthy Asiatic Gentile. Onesimus was the most despicable of all creatures, a runaway slave. They find themselves united in the gospel of Christ. Here is a living example of Paul's statement that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It was in this oneness that Paul saw a solution to the problem presented by the relationship of Onesimus to Philemon. And that's, in a sense, the goal of the gospel, that we would be one with God and one with one another. And at the end, in, in Revelation, um, uh, John writes that, you know, God speaking through John, that, that we would be one in the end. We will be unified. Uh, even in the Godhead, there's diversity and unity. Try unity. And we, um, being created in the image of God, have fallen. We've sinned against God. And we've made a separation between our God. Sin has separated us from God. It's broken our relationship. It's corrupted us, and not just us, but the whole world. And the gospel is what brings us back through grace, through uh, sacrifice, through forgiveness. We can be restored, have a rest, restored relationship, not only with God, our, our creator, but with one another. The, the, the gospel has so many, so many implications and applications, primarily that there is a way of salvation. There is a way of salvation. We preach that. It's by grace that you are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that's a, the call to all people to repent from your sins, to um, come to Christ, to seek forgiveness, to be restored, to have forgiveness. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel, that you need forgiveness. Anyone that's outside of Christ, you need to be forgiven because you've sinned against God and God is a holy and righteous judge and he will punish every sin. He must punish every sin. So that puts every sinner in a predicament. Either you will bear the punishment for your own sins in hell forever or Christ bears it for you through repentance and believing upon him. And in Repenting from your sins and believing upon him, you are restored. You have grace and peace through our Lord um, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. But the gospel extends to others that there is uh, reconciliation with others because we have been forgiven, we forgive. As Jesus tells us, we are to forgive others. We are to forgive others. And we are to be people that are forgiving forbearing, loving, and um, exemplify the grace and peace which God has shown to us. And that's, the, that's the, the lesson of Philemon. Forgiveness, grace, and peace. 
the grace of God. And Paul commends Philemon to show this grace to Onesimus. And in doing so, he also commends us to show grace to others, the same grace which we have been shown, the same forgiveness which we have been shown through the gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder of forgiveness, a reminder of what we have been forgiven, uh, an unpayable debt of sin has been paid for us by Jesus Christ. Those of us that are in Christ have been forgiven by grace. We are recipients of grace and we experience your peace, a peace which surpasses all understanding. And you call us to be um, ambassadors of your grace and peace to forgive others as we have been forgiven. But at the same time, we know and you know that we still harbor bitterness against others. We don't forgive as we ought. We don't um, forbear as you have forborne our sins. Sometimes we um, want um, what is due to us. We want vindication. We want justice. Lord, remind us of the gospel always that we can be ambassadors of your gospel and extend forgiveness to others as you have extended forgiveness to us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.